0: I don't know how – I'm sure most of you pay attention to the news, so you'd have to be kind of half-dead not to know that just recently, back in August, uh, out in Ferguson, Missouri, a black man was shot by a white police officer, right? That was back in August. And immediately after that all happened, you know, what was the scene you see in the news every night? You got riots, looting, property destruction So when that all kind of calmed down, they decided they're going to have a grand jury investigation over the whole incident to see, you know, whether charges ought to be pressed against the officer or not. And they kind of let it be known that this isn't something that's going to be over with in a matter of weeks, this grand jury investigation. It is going to be more like a matter of months. They're going to be real thorough about it and all that. But, you know, you hear the initial reports of what happened. And then all of a sudden, reports start coming out in the news as this investigation's going on. You have eyewitness testimony, forensic evidence, the policeman's account. So the government officials, they're knowing all this. And, you know, before it's announced to the public, I'd say they had a pretty good idea of which way this verdict was going to go. So they knew what was coming. They knew what was coming on that verdict. And they had months to prepare for it, for a likely reaction. So they had time to get ready. They had reason to get ready because they'd already seen what happened, right? And they had the resources to be ready when that announcement was made for that day. So they knew it would come. There's no doubt about it. The only thing they didn't know was they didn't know the exact day that that announcement was going to come, right? So it did come, and that was about three months after that. Just not too many weeks passed here it came. And guess what? They weren't ready, apparently, because the city wasn't protected on the, the time that announcement was made, so you've got buildings destroyed, people that have businesses they've owned destroyed, looting took place again, widespread fire and destruction. So I'll just raise the question: Isn't three months enough time to prepare? And weren't they warned? They they already were warned. They knew what was coming. And wouldn't wisdom dictate that you take that three months and be prepared for when that that announcement's made and be prepared for the worst? So what I want to talk about today, bringing this home to us, is so we have a day coming that we know of that has a lot greater consequences than that of Ferguson. So we've been warned. We'll see. We've been given time to prepare. And if we're not ready for that day, we'll be not only greatest, greater fools than those of the government officials of Ferguson, we'll be the greatest fools that have ever lived. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25. And it was about this time, I don't know what year was, that 81? Uh, this isn't really even part of my message, but we're at the seminar down there, and there's a lady, just she prophesied all the time, just constantly, she's just like, man, is this woman ever shut up? so brother hamilton i think it was the last message he was getting ready to speak and he gets up and he is just right here in the pulpit gets ready to speak and all of a sudden she's prophesying again i'm like man oh man this is Ugh, she's on my nerves and so she prophesies about the ten virgins and all that you remember that and he's just kind of standing there. i thought wow he's taking this awful well he's just kind of half smiling and uh prophesies about the ten virgins got to be ready and all that And guess where he has us turn our Bible to? Matthew 25. And he taught a message. Still remember the title of it. The price of oil is going up. It was a good message. I thought, man, what a confirmation. Take everything back I thought about her. You know, that's (laughs) where you learn, don't you? The spy's not prophesying. Well, that's why. So, anyways. All right, so we're looking at Matthew 25, beginning in verse 1. We'll read through verse 13. And it says, then shall, Jesus says, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered and said, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Truly or verily, I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now, in this particular parable... I think the context is important because this parable is not just given in isolation. So it's given in a context. It's part of a a discourse. Jesus gives several, I believe it's five discourses in Matthew. This is one of them, and it's Matthew chapters 24 and 25. And it's commonly known as the Olivet Discourse. And in this, he speaks about the end times. So I kind of want to look a little bit at 24 coming into this because it will help us. Kind of get our bearings a little straighter, a little better, I think. So you look at 24.3, and as the disciples come and ask him a question, he pointed out the temples, the temple and said, one day you know, there's not going to be one stone standing upon another. And so in verse 3, the disciples, he sat down on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came unto him privately, saying, tell us, they ask him three things. When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming? And when will the end of the world came, come? That would be kind of nice to know, wouldn't it? Hear it from the, the mouth of Jesus. Whoa. So how does he answer him though? He answers them in pretty broad terms, I would say, right? He gives a broad outline of the end time events. So he says, first of all, going through there, there's going to be false Christ. He says that many times through here. False Christ, there will be wars and rumors of wars. He tells them there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes all over the earth betrayal, persecution, falling away from the faith. And guess what? We've seen all of that, haven't we? One degree or another. And so he says, that's not the end. But what does he say down in verse 8? He says, all these are what? That's just the beginning of sorrows. And he goes on down in verse 14 and says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and he says, and then the end shall come. Hmm. So the end's coming, and what does he say in the next verse? What's going to happen? When you therefore, that therefore is pointing back to what he just said, when the end's coming, shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. He's saying that's a big sign right there, the Antichrist in the temple, right? Right? Now, Paul spoke of that event. I don't believe it's happened yet. There's a lot of people think it's already happened. But let's turn over, if you don't mind. Put something there, a ribbon or a pen, and keep it there in Matthew 25. We'll be going to a few places, not a lot tonight, but that way you can get back to it quickly. But turn over to 2 Thessalonians 2. I was not, I was just going to quote this, but I kind of want to let us see it. 2 Thessalonians 2, beginning in verse 2. So these people in Thessalonica were getting upset, thinking they'd missed the day of the Lord. And Paul's telling them in verse 2 of 2 Thessalonians 2 that don't be soon shaken in mind or be troubled, not by a spirit, nor by word, neither by letter as from us, as that that day of Christ is at hand. And here's a warning to us. He says, let no man deceive you by any means. And Jesus said that quite a bit about the false prophets. As he goes on to say, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you those things and know you and now, you know, that, that withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work, only he who now prevents will prevent until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And we haven't seen that yet. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perished. And here's one thing I think we need to, listen to tonight why do those people perish because they received not the love of the truth not because they didn't have their end time events calendar correctly marked that they might be saved because here's the thing look at verse 11 it says and for this cause god shall send them what and i'll tell you what i don't care how many left behind series books you've read if god sends you a strong delusion because you're a living in sin you're not going to get undiluted. You will be deluded. And that's what we need to remember. That they should what? Believe a lie. And this is a rough verse, verse 12. It should put the fear of God. It always has me when I've read it. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's two solemn verses there, I think, at the end of that, right? You're going to be deceived. You can think you know it all, and you may know it with your head, but you're going to get deceived if you're not living for the truth and walking with the Lord. So let's go back to Matthew. So let me ask you do you think what we just read there has happened? That man's been revealed and we've seen this? I don't think so. I don't. And do you think you know who the Antichrist is? I don't. I have no clue. So after the Antichrist, he goes on to say, Jesus does in Matthew 24, that the great tribulation will occur. So look what it says in verse 21. So so then shall great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And after the tribulation, guess what happens next? Like I said, it's a broad outline. The Lord is going to come back for all on this earth to see him visibly. Verses 29 to 31. Immediately after the tribulation, so we know it's after that tribulation, of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven, the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So in everything we just read there in that outline, that's from the time we're at now clear to when he comes back. Did Jesus give any dates? He didn't give any dates, did he? Did he say how to narrow everything down to the month, the date, the year? But I'll tell you, every generation since the church, this is no kidding, every generation has thought they were the end time generation. So the Antichrist has been Caesar. He's been the Pope. He's been Hitler. He's been President Obama. And name your man. And some of those, I believe, were types of the Antichrist. But what what I want us to see is, what's Jesus' emphasis for the rest of this chapter 24? So does he go on to say, hey, I gave you a broad outline, now I want you all to fill it in. You know, I want you to study all the prophecies so you can get all these events precisely figured out. Wait, Spend all your time doing that. Don't spend your time praying. And read, Like I said, read the Left Behind series. Look for the blood moons in the sky. That's the answer to the end times. Or be like William Miller. You all are like, William Miller? Where'd you pull that guy from? Well, listen, depends on when you lived. There was a guy named William Miller. He founded a group known as the Millerites, and they've since become the Seventh-day Adventists. So Mr. Miller had this brilliant insight that a prophetic day, a prophetic day, is not a 24-hour period, but it is a one-calendar year. So, he goes through based on Daniel 8. And he says, well, since Daniel, when it talks about the decree for the temple to be rebuilt in 457 B.C., there are 2,300 days, or in his estimation, 2,300 years, until Jesus will come back. So, Mr. Miller, being the brilliant man that he is, did the math, and he confidently predicted that Jesus will come back By March 21st, 1844. So thousands of Millerites that followed this man, they waited, and many literally sold everything they had. Because how could our leader be wrong? And guess what? March 21st, 1844 came and went like a normal day. Now you'll laugh at this because that day became known as the Great Disappointment. That's what it was called. Hey, they weren't going to give up like most of them don't, so they realized, hey, we just were using the wrong calendar. We should have used a Jewish calendar. So one of his people said, hey, we got a new date now, and our new date is October 22nd, 1844. So let me ask you, do you think that date worked? Well, here, let me tell you how well that date worked. Here's a member of the Millerites, and here's what he wrote. He said, I waited all Tuesday, October 22nd. The date predicted, and dear Jesus did not come. I waited all the forenoon of Wednesday and was well in body as I ever was. (laughs) But after 12 o'clock, I began to feel faint. And before dark, I needed someone to help me to my chamber as my natural strength was leaving me very fast. And I lay prostrate for two days without any pain. I was just sick with disappointment. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I'm waiting for the Lord, and it didn't happen. It made me, I was sick, all right, laid out and sick with disappointment. So let me say, is that what Jesus intended for us to try to, did he give us the first half of Matthew 24 so we could become end-time procrastinators, prognosticators? So I would say no, because four times in the second half of Matthew uh, 24, he tells us that we cannot know the day or the hour. So you look in verse 36, Matthew 24, he says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Verse 42, Watch ye therefore, for you know not the hour your Lord does come. Verse 44, Therefore be you also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. In verse 50, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of. So let me ask you, since we can't, would you think now we can know the day or the hour? I mean, that's all the guy had to do, Mr. Miller, was read his Bible. Not really that complicated. So what shall our attitude be? He tells us all about these end times events. What should our attitude be? Well, look in verses 42 to 44 in chapter 24. It says this. Jesus says, Watch ye therefore, watch, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have allowed his house to be broken up. Because they would dig into houses, thieves would. Verse 44, Therefore, He says it again, be ye also ready for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man will come. So the question then becomes, what does it mean to watch and be ready? And the second question would be, are you doing it? Or am I doing it? Not the question shouldn't be, what do these blood moons mean? That's what everybody's asking. At prison, that's like the topic of the day. Because we're going to see that not everyone that calls himself a Christian is going to be ready. Calls himself a believer. So there's three scenarios that are painted here in Matthew 24 and 25. So in verses 37 to 39, we have those that they don't believe he's coming at all. Unexpected. Look look here in verses thirty seven to thirty nine of what we just read. But as in the days of Noah were so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in in For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, verse 39, and they knew not. They didn't believe it, and they didn't know it, and they weren't expecting it until the flood came and took them all away, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And then there's those, though, that it talks about that they believe he's coming back, but they think it's going to be a while before he comes back. And that's in verse 48. But, it, but and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. So he thinks he's going to delay himself, and he acts accordingly. But look what it says down in verse 50. Thinks he's going to delay, but he finds out differently. And the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of. So he's surprised by his soon return in that case, right? And then here in our text, we're reading about the ten virgins in Matthew 25, 1. There's an expectancy. He's coming now, like soon. Look what it says in verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps. And they're going out to meet the bridegroom, aren't they? Well, look down in verse 5. So they're expecting him just the opposite of the other one. But he's coming later. But while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. So I think all these three scenarios, they cover every possibility, don't they? So they cover the clueless, which is the world. They're clueless about the Lord's coming. They don't care. They don't believe it. And then there's those that believe he's going to be gone a while. And there's those that believe he's coming real soon. And so what category would you say we fall into? I think the virgins. At least it used to be that way. And I think we expected the soon return of the Lord. You were constantly hearing it because of the violence, the evil, the violence, the divorce, the homosexual homosexuality that you see. And then Israel returning as a nation caused a lot of people to expect that all this was going to happen. All these judgments, the tribulation, you have books written, the vision and other things. And I can remember I heard a tape Early 80s, might have been 1980, Hobart Freeman taught. Now, Dr. Freeman wasn't going to predict, he knew that much, and I heard him teach many times, you can't predict the day, the hour, but he kind of predicted the decade, because he taught a message called Faith for the 80s. And basically, he taught this in 1980, in his mind, as bad as this world was from how he grew up, he's thinking, he said, we can't, we're not going to go see the 90s. And you need to have the faith in the 80s to endure the tribulation that's coming on this earth. And I would hear things like that, and it would affect the way I would plan my future, so to speak. Because I'm thinking, man, what's the point of this? Because the Lord's going to be back before 1990. I'm not going to get too involved in some different things, right? Right. And so what? Here we are now. It's 2014, and that was taught in. Two, that's been 34 years since that was taught. And guess what? It hadn't happened. Now, I'm not saying we're not in the end times. Hear what I'm saying? But he never thought we'd see today and have a meeting like we're having today. No way. That's that's what he basically said. Well, listen, 34 years in God's sight is nothing, isn't it? And I'll tell you what. So he would always talk about that clock's just right there, going to strike midnight. And you don't have time. He used to say, you don't have time to da-da-da. You've got to just believe this word. Well, we do have time, don't we? And we still should always be checking out what we hear regardless. Because Jesus countless is telling us, do not be deceived by false prophets. You always got time to check out what's being said. Don't we? We do. So it could be one year. It could be five years. I don't know. It could be ten years. Because God's controlling that clock, isn't he? He could do it in a year. He could do it in six months. Or he could let it go on to where all us old people die out and it's the younger generation that sees the rapture, right? It could be. I don't know. Because all I know is from Dr. Freeman right on down through church history, everybody's had it figured out and everybody's been wrong, right? So even though we don't know when, there, guess what though? There is a time he's going to return, isn't it? We know it's coming. And time for preparation is running out. Because if nothing else, you don't know that you won't die tonight. You don't. If you think you won't, you need to read James. And if you die tonight, guess what? That's when your time is up. You're not ready. You're not prepared. It's too late. So the parables in... But we've just looked at some in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, are what are known as judgment parables. They're warnings about how believers are going to be judged on that great day of judgment. You know, and there's people, I, I get them, you just say the word judgment or hell in prison, and i got three guys making a mass exit out that door, I'm no kidding. There's people that don't, and I know people like this, they don't want to hear about hell or judgment. Or they're going to be judged by God by their works. They want everybody to just hold hands and, hey, let's just all get along and enjoy our fellowship and all that. But the truth of the matter is there is going to be a day of judgment. God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to, it says, judge the world in righteousness. And you know what we're going to be judged by? You're not saved by your works. We know that, right? But he's going to judge us by our works. Because that's going to show if our salvation was genuine or not. According to our fruit. And guess what? If your fruit or my fruit is corrupt or there is none, that's John 15. It is hell. So, looking at our text here in Matthew 25, the first thing we notice in verse 1 is it talks about ten virgins. The kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins. And these virgins, they had almost everything in common. Probably not the first time you've heard that. So they're all virgins. They all have lamps. They're all going forth to meet the bridegroom, and they all slept. In fact, there's only one thing according to this par. Now, they, I don't know whether they were all nice looking or what, but according to this parable, there's only one difference between them, right? Five took extra oil and five did not. So that extra oil is the difference between being a foolish virgin and a wise virgin. It's the difference between being wise, prudent, sensible, someone with insight and wisdom. That's what that word wise means. The difference between that and being foolish, or the word could be translated stupid, or a moron. Because that's what the Greek word is. Moros where we get our word moron and listen that's a bad word you don't want to use that if you're in traffic (laughs) call somebody a moron right so god can call people morons right (laughs) but we can't he warns us in matthew 5 you call somebody a moron in anger and you might be in some danger i don't know about you but personally and i have been i think a guy did call me a moron down in georgia driving to florida one time because i said something pretty stupid I don't like being called a moron. I'd rather be called wise. So I want to find out that's the difference, isn't it, this oil? I want to find out what this oil is and how to, how to get it. So it's, it's amazing when you read different things what this oil has been interpreted to be. So some people will say it means giving, helping the needy, it's love, good works, the Holy Spirit, and on and on. But I think all those definitions, I think there's an element of all that in it, but it's too narrow of a definition. And I can remember there was a time back in my life, I went through all this thing trying to figure out what this oil is. <laughs> and it's just not that complicated, it really isn't. In fact, it's so uncomplicated, you all probably be yawning, because you hear it week after week. But look, you're in Matthew 25, look over here. I don't think it's that hard to figure out. Look in chapter 24, verses 45 to 46. Look what it says here. So we're talking about wise and foolish. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he shall come and find so doing. So what's the wise servant doing? He's doing his master's will. He's doing the instructions that he was left with when the guy left, right? He said, I want you to take care of the household and feed it. And that's what he does. He does it when the Lord returns. He finds him doing his will, doesn't he? And he was doing it the whole time he was gone. Because the evil servant, or the foolish one, doesn't call him foolish, but says he's evil, did what? Ah, he's gonna be a long ways off. I'm this is party time for me, and I'm gonna start abusing people. But the one, the wise one, is doing what? He's doing the Lord's will. And could someone tell me where else in Matthew we, it talks about the wise and the foolish? Y'all, this should be every hand in this church ought to be up. Well, let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. This will clearly show us what this oil is all about. So I want to pick it up in verse 18 because I want to see fruit is important. It really is. Verse 18, Matthew 7, A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. That means cannot, it's impossible for a good tree to bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and what? Cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Verse 21, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but who? He that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. That will get you in. Many, not just some, many will say to me, in that day, that's the day we're talking about, Lord, Lord. Didn't we just read that? Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them just what he said to the foolish virgins. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So here, verse 24, therefore, he says, verse 24, whoso heareth these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto who? A wise man. man. So what? Hmm. Which built his house upon a rock, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine, and does them not, shall be likened unto a moron, a foolish man, a stupid man, that's what that word means, which built his house upon the sand, the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great. Was the fall of it. So we just read it. What's the difference between the wise and foolish? In this example we read, he says, hey, I just gave you a whole bunch of teaching there in chapters five, six, and seven. And he said the wise ones, the ones that are getting oil are the ones that heard what I said and what did what I said there. And the foolish ones, they were sitting in the same congregation and they heard the same words. But guess what? They chose not to do it. And he says, if you're that way, you're stupid. A moron. Because your house will never stand. So the foolish heard the words just like the wise and didn't do them. And guess what? Their relationship with the Lord was just an empty shell. They were content to hear, but they never heard to obey. And Jesus says this in Luke. He says, why do you call me? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Do not do the things what I say. So I believe clearly that the oil is the heard and obeyed words of Jesus. That's how you get your oil. It's doing the will of God. It's loving your enemies. And listen, that's a whole lot easier said than done. Believe me, right? Because a lot of times we're just hanging around church people in here. But you get out there and you get around your enemies and you really, I mean, I ran into some last night. And it's really hard for your flesh to want to pray for them, to do good, to not be smart when you know you're right. It really is. Do good to them, praying for them, turning the other cheek. What about, you know, I don't want to teach the sermon on That's not my point. But praying in secret. How much do we do that? Prayer. That's I don't even have to ask. I know prayer is a problem in any anywhere you go. It is. But Jesus says, hey, he talks about going and praying to your father, tells you how to do it, the model prayer. Use this pattern. Do we do that? Spend time with him every day, fasting in secret, giving in secret. We've heard it, but are we doing it? Not lusting after women in your heart through pornography, movies, your thought life. Not worrying and scheming about how to get money, but just using your faith. Faith's involved, isn't it? Just trust in your Heavenly Father that He cares enough about you. He'll take care of your needs. If you just put Him first, that's all He asks you to do. Not judging others critically to the beginning of this chapter, but first judging yourself, He says, to do, right? And then help them out by praying for Him. So He's saying that wise person that is hearing and doing is building the house, and so's the foolish one. But building a house implies what? You ever seen one go up in a day? I don't even think the Jehovah's Witnesses can build one of their little things in a day takes them a couple of days right so it implies what it implies time doesn't it an interval of time between the start and finish so there's a period of time between when those virgins go forth to meet the bridegroom isn't there and it says he tarries and there's an interval of time between that and when he comes and that's the time you we are we're supposed to be buying our oil that's the time he's given us So, if you don't mind turning to this, too, and we'll be going back to Matthew 25. I think this is a familiar verse, but I kind of want us to look at it. Uh, Proverbs 23, 23. So, we're talking about we need to buy oil, and now's the time to buy it, because there's going to come a time when it's too late. So, we're looking at Proverbs 23, 23. This is, this is one of those great... Verses, I think. I really like it. Matt, Proverbs 23, 23. It says, Buy the truth and what? Hmm. Sell it not. Also, you should buy wisdom and instruction and understanding. Well, how do you buy truth and wisdom and understanding and instruction? Well, when you buy something, what happens? It it becomes yours, doesn't it? And once something becomes yours, once that truth becomes yours you can't get talked out of it can you you shouldn't be able to so when you say that man is a man of wisdom how did he get that wisdom he got he bought instruction and then the wisdom and how to apply it and that gave him understanding and once you get to that point hey when you've got it in you it's like dr. Freeman used to say I got my lunch with me and you could tell me it's no good and I haven't eaten it yet I might believe you and I might even give it to you or throw it in the trash if I had that lunch with me, and I've eaten it, I understood it, I've experienced it, it's too late. I know it was good. You could tell me it was lousy all you want to, right? I've experienced it. And that's what he means by, by the truth. You've got to hear it, and you've got to act on it. And then it becomes yours. And it's not a matter. You can't sell it. It's not for sale. So that's why, go, let's go back there to Matthew. 25, that's why we have here in Matthew 25, in verse 8, and it says, And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answer says, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you, but go you rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. They weren't being selfish. They really weren't. But buying the truth and wisdom and understanding, there's only one way to get it. And that's time and personal experience. That's the only way you're going to get it. Because guess what? We need to all be getting it for ourselves. We got people here that you can go ask questions for. You got friends you can talk with. You can fellowship and have a good time. But I'm going to tell you, on that day of judgment, you're going to either have your own oil or you'll have none. You're not going to have somebody else's. And I like this quote of this man I read, Frederick Bruner. He says this, on the day of judgment, we cannot depend on others. It is terrifyingly individual. Man, that's something to think about there. So the question is, who can buy oil? Who can buy this oil? I would say anyone can, can't they? You got a job? But man, you can be an oil man. You can be rich in oil spiritually, right? Right? So listen, if you all paid attention, give me give me a verse that would tell you that. You're going to make Jeff mad if you all don't, somebody doesn't. Isaiah 55, right? just heard it last week. One, ho, everyone that thirsts, come ye to the waters. And he that has no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And you get all you want without money and without price. There's the invitation. A gluttonous oil man. That's what we can be. But here's the the deal with this, though. It's a limited-time offer. It really is. It's not like, you know, these oriental rug companies that advertise on the radio. Every year, it's every year the same place. They're having a going-out-of-business sale, discounts like you'll never see again. And it's every year. It keeps happening. So you're just like, it doesn't matter. i got next year if I don't get it this year, right? It's a joke. Well, I'm saying it's not like that, though. With God. There will be a time when he tells you it's all done. It is all done. There's no more chances. And that's why he tells us here in Isaiah 50 and further on, which Jeff had last week too. So he says to us, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call you upon him while he is near. Because one day all these opportunities to gain wisdom, insight, understanding, growing in holiness. Guess what? It's going to be gone. One day it will. It will be gone. And it's going to be Proverbs chapter 1 on that day. Where God will say, I stretched out my hand and no man regarded. I called and you refused. And he says, goes on to say, then shall they call, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early and they will not find me. I never heard that growing up. I thought, I would have thought that was unchristian, but that's what the Bible says. And that's what we're seeing and going to see tonight. That's not just Old Testament Proverbs. That's New Testament, Matthew 25. And what we really need to see is God is putting opportunities in front of every one of us every day to buy oil. Every day. We just don't like them. We don't. We like to quote the verses, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, don't we? All things work together for good. But we don't like those things that he's talking about there necessarily. So we don't like that guy that irritates us. Or the people that treat us unjustly. The ones we have to deal with, right? We don't like this healing trial I'm in. We we want to get rid of them. And we don't always respond to these people. Like I said, it's easier said than done to love your enemies. And we don't always respond to them in a Christian manner, do we? What we need to see is that is God's program to give us oil. Think about that next time this guy's cutting you off in traffic. That's my oil right there. I don't want to lose it. Right? So listen, I want to be with the group in verse 10. What does it say there in verse 10? And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were, what? Ready. ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. The Greek literally says the ready ones. That's what I want to be, one of the ready ones. And here's the thing. we got to get back to that. It takes time to get ready. Because the ones, the ones you guys that didn't take time to get ready tonight, I can tell. I'm, I'm literally just kidding. I just... I'm not, I'm not, I am totally kidding. But listen, it takes time to get ready and time is filled with the opportunity God's placed before us to get ready. So the wise virgins, they see what's coming. They see that day's coming and they're saying we're going to take this opportunity in this time to get the oil we need, right? That's what they did. They didn't want to miss the Lord. And I really wanted to go off on a tangent on this, on the difference between the ones he said, I never knew you. So they never knew the Lord. They never saw anything in him of worth to get themselves ready. That's the problem. I never knew you. A total empty shell. Versus these people here, they had to see something in the Lord Jesus Christ. A beauty of holiness. Something they desire that is saying, man, I want to make the most of every opportunity I have so that I can see him and behold him. And the ones that don't really know who he is and don't care, have never seen him for who he is, they don't care. What's the big deal? I'll go through the motions. But turn over to Revelation 19, if you would. This will be the last place we'll turn. No, i got one other one, but Revelation 19 for now. So we're saying, hey, it's going to be a glorious day. Revelation 19, verses 6 to 9. And it says this, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come. And what does it say? His wife has done what? She's one of the ready ones. She made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he says unto me, right? Blessed. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. You know, it's easy to skip right past that verse 6 that we started with. Voice of a great multitude and a voice of many waters and mighty thunderings. That means there's going to be so many people there giving praise to God that they're part of that bride. And have you ever been in a crowd at a ball game or just wherever, where everybody is excited and their voice is raised and your voice is raised with them. I mean, there is nothing like that, is there? And that's what he's, that's the scene he's describing here. And they're praising God. Even though they made themselves ready, they know it was strictly by his grace they were able to do it, right? But we still have the responsibility. You see it both here in this verse. God's omnipotence and our responsibility to make ourselves ready. So back to Matthew 25, if you would. They went into the marriage feast. We just read that, verse 10. They were ready, went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. There was a sound. So a joyful sound to the ready ones, but it was a terrifying sound to the others. And what was that sound? The sound of a door shutting. The heavy thud of a door shutting and the lock clicking. But there it stands shut. And on that other side, you can hear the joy and the laughter of those people. And look what it says in verse 11. The door was shut. And then it says in verse 11, the first word there is afterward. After the bridegroom and the wise virgins walked into the marriage feast after the door was shut, after the party had began. And so what does "afterward" mean? It equals too late. And what happens afterwards There came the other virgins saying, and they're crying out, and I guarantee you it wasn't just, Lord, Lord, open unto us. I mean... There's some distress in their voice, isn't there? Lord, Lord, open unto us. Got to be a little panic there. Open unto us. We're virgins. We have lamps. We want to enjoy the feast. It's probably what they were crying out. And what does he say to them? Four words we do not want to hear, do we? I know you not. And like I said, that sounds a lot like Matthew 7 we read earlier. I never knew you. Could you imagine? You're standing there. You're individually. You had. You sat in this church. We all had the chance. We knew to get ready. We've heard enough word more than enough to be ready, to have the faith to be ready. And he has to point to us and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Ye that work iniquity. So the foolish, they had no oil. They weren't ready. And guess what? They had not been what? Obeying God's word. They were virgins in name only, Christians in name only. They were just part of the crowd, weren't they? Somebody here. So he says five are wise and five are foolish. Does that mean we just divide this church in half and they're, I don't know. But you know what it tells us, though? It's more than one, isn't it? It's many. And he says many will say to me in that day, doesn't he? Many times. Lord, Lord, many will say that. So listen, part of the crowd, just being here is no safety at all. You're kidding yourself. You think just being in this meeting is safety? Because Matthew 22, what did Jesus say? He told about another parable. The guy went out to bring people into his feast. and The ones that were first bidden ah, I got too much to, to do. I don't want to come. And it said some of them took his servants and killed them. And it said he went and destroyed their city as a result. Speaking of Israel. But then he said, I, I really just go out in the highways and hedges. Just bring them in here. Anybody, just bring them in. It says they went out and they got the good and the bad. And they brought them in until that place was packed. Like here on Sunday. You're looking at this meeting here on Sunday. It's fairly crowded tonight. And the king comes in, it says, packed with guests. Here's what it says in Matthew 22. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how did you get in here not having a wedding garment? And here's what it says he was speechless, he was exposed. Inside, he knew it all. I'm a fraud. Didn't have a, what what could he say? Is that you? You know you're a fraud? You know you could care less about Jesus Christ or Christianity or obeying his word. And you could be speechless on that day. So let's turn over, the last place we'll turn to, and we'll finish up in Matthew 25. You'll turn over to Luke 13. Luke 13, beginning in verse 22, and he went through the cities and villages, Luke 13, 22, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And one of them said to him, Lord, are there few that be saved? We've heard this before. And he said unto them, what agonized strive. Doesn't it sound like from what we've all heard tonight, that's probably going to be worth doing? Strive to enter in at the straight gate. And here's where we got it again. Many... The many I say unto you will seek to enter in, and we will not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door, there's that shut door again, and begin to stand without, and to knock at that door, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he'll answer and say unto you, I don't know where you're from. Because he told some of the Jews, you're from beneath, and I'm from above. And he says, I don't know where you're from. And then they shall begin to say, well, but we've eaten, we've drunk in your presence, we've experienced your anointing, your teaching, you've taught in our streets. And he'll say, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the same thing again. I know you not whence you are depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. And he says there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. And you yourselves thrust out. They shall come from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. And I want to go back to verse 26 there, because this is a judgment. He says, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see. So these people are cast out of the kingdom. And when I was doing a study on that heavenly kingdom that's going to come down in Revelation, it's going to be a city of light. Nothing but light. And these people are in outer darkness. And I get the picture from what he's saying there. You'll see. You'll be cast out. The judgment on you will be, you will see those people in that city. Having that feast. Enjoying God's presence. That's terrible, isn't it? It really is. You're looking into what you could have had. And didn't seem to care enough about to prepare yourself. Even though God's told us that day's coming. I'll give you everything you need. Isaiah 55, come by. It's free. I'll give you all you need. I'm on your side. Seek me. You'll find me. You'll never find a person that sought the Lord. He turned away. Read Chronicles. So listen, this parable, it's a judgment It's a stern warning to all of us, isn't it? Prepare when? Down the road? You may never get down the road. It's saying prepare Now. Now. So bringing oil means we need to start enduring our trials, learning to love our enemies, praying for others. Our great tribulation is now, isn't it, if we want to make it. So back to Matthew 25, he ends this by saying in verse 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor hour when the Son of Man coming. And so listen, watching, he's talking there doesn't mean you know, you all got to go home tonight and stand up and you can't go to sleep. Because you'll be like Andy Anderson told me when we went down to Guatemala one time. (laughs) I said, man, you guys can sleep in this bouncing bus. It's How do you do that? He goes, well, when I was on guard duty at night, he goes, I just learned how to sleep standing up. So I'm saying, you don't have to do that. That's not what he means by watching there. That you can't go to sleep literally because all of the virgins in verse 5... They slept, didn't they? And there's no sin in that. That's not the problem, is it? It really isn't. The foolish were morons because they had no oil. They had no preparation, no obedience. So keep awake or watch means to make the necessary preparations. Hear and do the will of God, which will include praying, being filled with the Spirit, whatever it takes, right? Right? Loving your neighbor Because as it said, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. And so we know Jesus is coming back, don't we? Just like in Ferguson, we know that day's coming. If we want to see him, we better be making preparations. We're gonna have to give an account for our lives because he's given us time to prepare. All of us, hasn't he? And we just we don't know how much time we have left. So we need to seek the Lord while he may be found. That means putting him first in everything, obeying him as Lord. Because we don't want to be like those that come to a shut door, do we? Let me just end by saying, look at Noah's day, it talked about Noah's day over in chapter 24. They all mocked him, didn't they? They mocked Noah. But what does it say? We hear faith here a lot. It says, by faith, Noah was moved with fear. Because why? He heard God's word and believed it. He knew that day was coming, right? And so what does it do? We're talking about being prepared. What did Noah do? It says in Hebrews 11, moved with fear. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. So if you really truly believe God, you will be preparing now like Noah. So there was a long delay for Noah, wasn't there? But every day, you know what it was for Noah? One more log. Get through this trial today. Take no thought. I'm going to love this God that's given me a hard way to go. I'm going to believe God through this healing trial, right? Because I'm putting oil in my lamp. God is faithful to see me through. Because one day for that world that mocked him, it was Genesis 6.16. And you know what it says in Genesis 6.16? Noah went in that ark and it said, God, the Lord, it says, shut him in. The Lord shut the door. And we know from the book of Revelation, when he shuts the door, if he doesn't want it, no man is going to open it, right? And it's like he said many times, what about when that first raindrop hits your head? And you get that sick feeling inside. I missed it big time. Because it's no more chances. It's done. Nothing but judgment ahead of me now. And that's what we need to remember, don't we? All of us. Standing in front of a shut door is not what we want. So, amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this word you've given us sometimes, Lord. It's a hard word. Uh, but we need these warnings, Lord, and I know that the faithful will heed the warnings. And I just ask that you'll just impress on all of our hearts, Lord, that we'll read your word, we'll hear your word, and that you'll just give us all hearts to obey your word, Lord, that we can be found having oil on that day. And I just ask that you'll do that for all these people here. I just ask you to bless them and be with them, and we just do that in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Well, John quoted a couple times. Later. Oh, see, hear the Lord while he may be found, call ye a part. Thank you. mm mm-hmm.
0: passages especially through the book of hebrews it's not to discourage believers but those are what keep the believers on the path so let's just heed the warning that we received tonight and god's faithful he's over abundantly filled with mercy and loving kindness he wants to see us make it he really does amen so just shake somebody's hand and you're dismissed praise the lord